luminaries, talking to the brightest minds in tech. We are technologists and we share an awesome responsibility. The next three decades will hold even more progress, coming more quickly than ever before. A new age of miracles is literally just around the corner. Your hosts are Mark Schaefer and Douglas Carr. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Luminaries, where we talk to the brightest minds in tech. This is Mark Schaefer, and my co-host, Douglas Carr, is here beside me. We have a great opportunity to actually do a live podcast discussion today. And uh, how are you doing, Doug? I am energized. Energized. Yeah. Were you were you a science geek as a kid? I, I was. Uh, I, I can. My grades didn't reflect it, but I've yeah. always been a geek. So, uh, science was a big deal to me when I was a kid. I grew up in Pittsburgh, and my favorite day of the year was when we would take a field trip to the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh, and it just like turned my life around. Yeah. Just go, getting a chance to go to that museum just opened my eyes, opened my world. I've always loved science, and it's literally changed my life. And we've got a life-changing discussion today. Uh, sitting on four acres within downtown Miami's waterfront uh, museum park is the 250,000-square-foot Philip and Patricia Frost Museum of Science. It's a unique campus-like setting that takes guests on a journey from the ocean to the Everglades and from Jurassic dinosaurs to outer space. It investigates life as we know it while exploring the underlying processes of science and innovation. Leading all the technology to support this epic venture, from ticketing to controlling a giant shark tank, is our guest today, Brooks Weisblatt, their Vice President of Technology, Welcome to Luminaries, Brooks. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This sort of sounds to me like the coolest job ever. So tell us a little bit about how you got there. Sure. So always been a, a science kid. You know, technology and computers was things that I just grew up with, tearing things apart, you know, um, learning computers and such. I uh, thought I wanted to be a doctor. So that was always my kind of goal and uh, went through college, went to Florida State University, got a degree in biology, did all the things that I was going to do to be a doctor. But as I was in school, I was still developing my technology skills. So back then, which was a long time ago, the web just started coming about. And there was like when a new web page came out, you're like, wow, look, there's a new web page. <laughs> yeah. There's a new website. Someone yeah. just did something. And whatever it was, you went and looked yeah. at it. And if it was good or bad, it didn't really care because it was something new out. <laughs> that being said, that intrigued me. I learned, you know, picked up a couple books and just looked at the code and started learning HTML. So I was always pretty entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial as a as a, a student in college, and I started developing web pages for the Department of Biology and the Vice President's Office at the school, and just started really kind of learning this new technology. Not really, well, I bet they loved you. It, not yeah. realizing where it was going, I was yeah. just like, "This is super cool stuff. This is what I'm into." Um, so just you know, develop my technology skills from there. Long story short, got an University of Miami, and I was going to go to get a PhD in molecular biology and immunology and do like an MD PhD program. When I got to University of Miami, I took over their computer lab because it was in shambles, and I started doing other tech things there, and quickly realized that I wasn't going to be in school for another eight years. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, I'm like, you know, the mm. the web was blowing up. This is a few yeah. years later. Uh, jobs were everywhere for web yeah. development, and that was my skill at the time. I was like, yeah, I can develop web pages and make. Decent amount of money back then. <clears throat> mm -hmm. 
threw a couple applications out there and landed at the Museum of Science in Miami, Florida, which at the time was a really small museum, like 55,000 square feet, been around for like 60 years. So I left school, which was a full scholarship, told my parents I was doing that. They were not too thrilled, <laughs> to say the least. Oh, you're going to go work at a science museum instead of being a doctor. Nevertheless, everything happens for a reason, and it worked out really well. I started there as a web developer uh, on a three-month contract. So is this the same museum? It is. Just like an early iteration? A very early iteration. Oh, wow. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. It's a great story. So started there, and I've been there ever since, 22 years. 22 years? That's, yeah, that's crazy. That's absolutely incredible. Well, I, you know, it amazes me uh, when I read about the museum online, and, and, and basically I went through the entire website and just kind of experienced everything that I could. Um, you're in charge of a museum that is covering everything that's constantly changing. Yes. <laughs> you know, what kind of challenge is that to, to, to basically keep up and keep ahead of technology? Well, I mean, development of the building was the first thing, right? So coming from a small museum, I developed all my technology skills, just kind of redoing the entire building. So starting off as a web developer, I progressed to director of technology, director of, you know, all these different positions until they came around and said, hey, you know, we're outgrowing the building. We've got this goal to build this $330 million science center. And I was like, this is the time where I was like, I'm either leaving or I'm staying in this position because yeah. obviously I was outgrowing it. And I'm like, well, this is an amazing opportunity. Chance of a lifetime. Yeah, I mean, right. really, you don't get this opportunity. Yeah. And I was in charge of it all. They're like, Brooks, we want you to pick out all the vendors, do all the RFPs, pick out the technology, the store, the networking, uh, the infrastructure, the security systems, the ticketing, the life support systems that monitor the tanks. I mean, the list just goes on because it's not your normal kind of business, right? This is like... A bunch of Everything businesses packed just, into the one yeah. building. So it's like a biosphere. It really is. There's a ton yeah. of stuff. So yeah. that was, you know, an amazing opportunity for me to go ahead and develop all the technology that was going to be. Now, that took a long time because while we were developing, we didn't have the money to build the building. So you need $330 million, right? So we went out for public funding. We got some of that and the rest we raised privately. So as this went on, a lot of planning took, I mean, it took a while. It took a while to get it all together. But That's a heck of a vision. Yeah. yeah. It was, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. But, you know. So we went from having one, me, well, me, I was the only technology person in the building at the time, to hiring a couple of people and then a couple more and a couple more. And now we have a staff of 10 at the new museum where we had a staff of like one and a half or two yeah. at the old museum. So it's, it's definitely come a long way. You were literally building the plane as it was flying. Pretty much. <laughs> and, and what was the time frame of this? So I believe uh, 2004 is when we started developing the plans. And going after funding, I don't have to look at the edits. You know, we can look back at those dates. Um, and then once we got the funding, we hired a design firm and then design architect and then kind of moved along from there. Um, actual construction of the building was about five years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, I love hearing about these stories because to me it just seems sort of magical how all this stuff comes together, you know, and you, how you have to look at the, the, the art and the design. And in your case – living beings yeah. in these tanks. Sure. Uh, and then practical things like water supply and ticketing. And just to have the imagination and the creativity so, to sort of bring this together. That's one of the things that sort of stood out for me about you is that you're an IT guy, but boy, you were really in the heart of this creative process. And I saw a quote that you had on one of the Dell videos about how technology really enables you to be creative. Yeah. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. It's an interesting idea. 
Yeah, I mean, the creative process, I was involved in a lot of the exhibits that were being developed. So, you know, when you want to develop an exhibit and there's technology behind it, you got to think about, you know, who's using the exhibit. And this isn't your standard, like, you know, little kiosk that adults are using. These are kids and adults and families who are hard on this stuff, right? So you got to pick the right equipment. Wild kids. They can be. You'd be surprised at what you see during summer camp. (laughs) I mean, they just... They pile on and beat on these things. So, you know, you got to pick the right kind of technology that's robust, that's reliable. You know, one of my things was I didn't want any spinning disc in the entire museum. That was one of my kind of technology um, requirements. You yeah. know? So as exhibit RFPs came in, I'm like, take the spinning disc out, put flash in. I don't want to worry about extra heat. You know, those things break all the time. They're slow. I mean, the advantages of the flash are just, you know, you can't really compete with it. Um, so, you know, enabling those kind of things to happen. Uh, the creative team, obviously, you know, as far as develop the exhibits and the planetarium and the tanks. I mean, obviously that's a whole different ball game, but I was involved in, you know, all those meetings to kind of, you know, make sure that whatever they had in mind was doable from the technology side, whether it's from the networking perspective or the audiovisual perspective or the servers that power this planetarium we have. So it's a 250 seat 3D 8K planetarium. It's powered by eight 4K projectors, which are have digital alignment. So there's cameras around the entire uh, dome, which take pictures and grids and then just alignments and, mm. and get it all in sync to sync those four projectors into a, you know, a seamless, very immersive experience that, you know, when people watch these shows, they're clapping at the end. They're really, really impressed. And I wish I knew someone who could give me tickets to that thing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Come and see me in Miami. That's exciting. That's exciting. So now, you know, you're in the middle of this thing and you've got all these moving parts and now there it is. It's built. What do you look back on and say, wow, this is really cool. This was my part. What What are you most proud of? Sort of what's the piece of you that's part of the legacy of this building that you love? Yeah, I got to say in the data centers, which combines all the technologies into this one thing that powers the entire building. So it required a lot of, you know, careful planning and thought process because, you know, while we didn't want the old legacy system we came for, which was a server for every function, yeah. and those are operating at like 10, 15%. You're yeah. wasting all those resources. But at the same time, if one server goes down, you don't bring down the whole building, right? Of course, it takes time to bring that back up. So, you know, it was interesting that when the building was planned, virtualization and all those kinds of stuff, it was there, but it wasn't really what everyone was doing. Either it was too expensive or it was too hard to implement or you didn't have the resources to really kind of push for that. So the data center was huge. I mean, it was like, you know, 2,000 square feet. It was, you know, 24 cabinets. And, you know, when we when we got to the path and we're like, hey, I don't need anywhere near that, you know, with the, with the new plan because I'm building in all this redundancy and, and, and to put this all into one cluster in the virtualization environment. So I think that combining everything and making it efficient, cost effective, being able to deploy new applications within just minutes. You know, I think that's something I'm really proud of. You know, when, when someone comes to us, we need a new life support server over here. We need, oh, we forgot. We need three more servers for security or we need this and that. I was like, yeah, it's no problem. We'll bring that up. And they're like, what do you mean? That you should take, that used to take you a week. I'm like, no, I can bring that up in like a half an hour. I got yeah. templates built out. You know, we had everything prepared and ready to go. So I think it's just, you know, the core kind of system that powers everything, along with monitoring too. There's over 3,500 devices that we're monitoring throughout the building at any given time. 3,500, wow. Yeah. So from life support devices to electrical panels to securities to cameras to Wi-Fi access points to ticketing systems, the POSs, the exhibits, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And with a team of nine, you'd never be able to be so do you, on top of it. So do you have like a, a, a person from IT there 24 hours a day? 
We or, do that, or, or do you do it remotely? I mean, no, I mean, you know, we're open kind of normal business hours, which would be, yeah. you know, nine to six. Of course, the tanks and all the rest of the stuff, we're, we're always on call right? yeah. if something yeah. goes wrong. So yeah. if something goes wrong in the middle of the night, I'm notified. Either I go down there or someone goes down there. Yeah. Hasn't happened very often mm-hmm. after, you know, deployment. We got things up and running pretty smoothly. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, don't you know, we don't have to have IT there all the time mm-hmm. for it, this application. I mean, this is mind-boggling from a scale standpoint. You know, you, you built a building, you built a company, $330 million, basically. You have ecosystems for for life, <laughs> you know, for data, for, you know, all of these different pieces uh, coming together and with a handful of people. I mean, that's yeah. – and then just listening to your attention detail, going all the way down to flash drive requirements on RFPs. I mean, that's, that's incredible. What kind of collaborative process helped you kind of – put all of this together because this is your first museum that you've built. That's right. right. Yes, yes. Well, I did a lot of research. So yeah. I'm, I'm that kind of guy who can learn very quickly. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, you know, I haven't had a lot of computer technology training background, but, you know, some people don't need that. They can learn on the job. So yeah. I've learned programming. I've learned, you know, data center, you know, but it's by reading online and looking at other people are doing and reaching out and saying, what systems did you use? What didn't you like? What did you like? You know, where is technology going? Four years from now, so we're not behind on opening because that's the last thing you want. You don't want to open this building right. and be three years behind, right? So, you know, building out the storage infrastructure to be prepared to last quite a few years, building out the server infrastructure so I don't have to go back and redesign or add, add hosts or add switches, uh, designing the network. You know, we have a 10-gig fiber backbone throughout the whole building. So it's going to be plenty to handle, you know, a lot of things to come, the right kind of wiring, the CAT 6A, the fiber, the single mode, the multi-mode, you know, down to every detail. Uh, but I did have help. You know, we hired consultants. So obviously, I'm not a network engineer. Yeah. So I told them, you know, the plan that I wanted, we hire that out. They, they bring it back. We review it, go back and forth a few times. Same thing with uh, the the some of the designing for the storage needs for the server infrastructure. Uh, so those RFPs come out, we review them, we, we do our research, and then we pick those partners to help us, you know, make sure that whatever's being designed is going to be with us for work for us now and then for the future as well. Hmm. When I was trying to learn about your museum, I was looking at your website and sort of reading some of the things that were out there about the museum. And one of the things I thought was so cool is that you're, you're not just teaching about science, but you're really living science and you are setting an example with some of your environmental policies and trying to be a LEEDS certified building. Can you talk a little bit about that and sort of what your role is in that yeah, as the, sure. as the so IT leader? We actually just got our LEED certification. It takes a while. I mean, yeah. although we we passed it. We actually got the plaque literally last week. Oh, and I think there was actually a ceremony maybe like 10 days ago yeah. of the yeah. lead certification. Even though we've been open almost two years, that's a it's an intensive process it to really be lead is. certified. And yeah. we were going for all the points we create, you know, so down from the kind of toilets and faucets that you have to yeah. solar. So we have a 65 kilowatt hour solar array on the roof. We have FPL solar trees in the plaza. So those bring in, you know, solar energy. Uh, we can monitor exactly what's coming in every day. Uh, we bring in, you know, we have cisterns that collect the rainwater into huge tanks, which are used for irrigation of the green roof. Um, now I'm not the lead expert, but I can give you an idea because yeah. I've been through it of all the different things that you need. So it's pretty intensive. And I think we're really proud to be lead certified and especially renewable energy sources, you know, being a museum and, you know, if we're going to do it, then we want other people to do it as well. Yeah, you're setting the example. Set an example for sure. 
All right, then let's talk about something else that's cool. Okay. Uh, so I got to read about you personally. Yeah. And you run dragtimes.com. Yes, yeah. That so. <laughs> is amazing. And for anybody out there who doesn't know, I mean, you, you had an epic video that really took off, and that was uh, Tesla's. Yes. Yeah. So I'm definitely into Tesla's. I bought, you know, when Tesla was, uh, you know, I had actually drove the first electric car or modern, which was the Saturn EV1. If anyone yeah, knows what that I is, remember super that. cool car. I got yeah. a picture of me in that car. Way back in the day. So when Tesla came out, I was like lined up. I wanted a Tesla no matter what. And the thing about Tesla is they're very fast, instant acceleration. And I did a video and kind of snuck up on my coworkers and kind of hit hit the insane button at the time. Didn't understand what was happening. <laughs> Put that video together and it went super viral. It is an amazing video nuts. to watch. Yeah, I yeah. mean, CNN and Fox and Elon Musk tweeted it out. And I was not ah. ready for what was about to come through. Ah. And that kind of stunned, you know, what drag times was, was how I learned programming. Yeah. So it's just a collection of data for performance cars that I built out. So I built a website, learned all the programming, which actually helped me at the job as well because we actually build all our own websites as well. So we host the website. We did it with the ticketing systems, the online yeah. e-commerce and all that. Came out of a hobby of mine of learning how to program that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you're not just a casual observer of drag times. No, you I also, race. Yeah, yeah you sure. also have a car collection. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm totally jealous of your garage. <laughs> Thank you. Where you, you basically have sub-basements and uh, you can move lifts. cars You around. can lift them up and down. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's wow. amazing. It's, yeah. It's pretty wow. cool. Well, who, do, who doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and what's the uh, – is there an intersection with that and, you know, that kind of creative and, and hobby and then what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, you know, the technology is all there. So as far as the electric cars, the Teslas are probably – the most advanced cars on the road. They're they're getting ready for AI and self-driving and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, part of that was, you know, us going back to the lead discussion we had, we have electric car charging stations. Yeah. So they're like, Brooks, you're the electric car guy. Go figure that out. I'm like, okay, so here we go. We want six spots. I want Tesla to come in. I want George Brink to come in. And, you know, we, so we have six electric, six or seven electric car spots. We can monitor how much people are charging, how often they're being used. It's super cool. Uh, so the car thing kind of comes into play there with the museum, quite, you know, as far as that kind kind of renewable Tesla electric green initiative. Sure. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it's almost like the alter ego, like on the weekends, I'm out racing and doing cool stuff at tracks and airstrips and stuff like Do you that. Have like a bat cave? No, is that part it's of your, close. Is that part of your someday, alter ego? Someday. <laughs> you know, the alter ego and the, 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 the cars going down into the ground on a lift. <laughs> Not yet, but I have some friends who might have that. Yeah. I, have, I have some specific, some, some suspicions, Brooks. <laughs> Well, you know, one of the things I, I loved about this discussion is how when you were having this vision for the museum, you said, well, I don't want to build it for today. I want to build it for years from now. I don't want to create something that's obsolete. So I know even now you're thinking about three years down the road, five years down the road. And so what is the technology that has you sort of excited right now that you can integrate into this museum in the next three to five years where you're going, yep, this is going to be cool. Can't wait to get into this. What's coming down at the Frost Museum? Well, I can't say we've started the process, but I think, you know, my technology kind of where I'm looking towards is this AI and big data. So, you know, artificial intelligence is coming a long way. Yeah, and, really. You know, being able to control things from your mind. You know, you can see some of these test environments where they put something in your head and people struggle to make something happen with the computer. I mean, I think, you know, um, the big bandwidth limitation right now is how you communicate with your device. I mean, if you just look at, like, what it takes to type a text message and how slow it is and how cumbersome it is. You know, if we solve that bandwidth problem to 
to somehow do bio to computer, mm-hmm. you could think of what that's going to open up. You could well, just, I'm going to think about sending a text message to my wife and it's just going to yeah. happen instead of getting out the phone and, and doing this kind of stuff. Do you so, do the two thumbs thing? Are you that advanced on the texts? I, uh, I don't really pay, no, I think Or I'm do just, you poke? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm just fast curious. enough. Yeah. We, we, we sort of ask every single yeah. guest that question. <laughs> sort of a I tradition. Even think about it. I have to get my phone out. It's, it's a tradition here on Luminaries. I think I do it both ways. I've, I've tried. Yeah. I've tried. Just can't master it. I'm with yeah. Brooks. I'm I'm ready for the chip injection. I mean, I'm, this is where the you know big innovations are going to happen, and, and especially for a museum. And there's a lot of cool things you could start doing with AI and and, and learning computers and oh. being able to control things with your mind. It's just going to be mind-boggling where this goes really in the next will. couple of years. Oh, so exciting! Can't wait to see it. Can't wait to come visit you. Yeah, because I am a come science down. geek, and I I just fell in love with your website. Yes, all the things you're doing down there. So, Brooks. Congratulations Thank on you. your success on this amazing uh, four-acre museum that you have and the, the Leeds achievement. Uh, sounds like all your lights are green right now. And thanks so much for being on our show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, we always appreciate you and just uh, appreciate all your kind words and reviews. This is Mark Schaefer and Doug Carr for Luminaries. We will see you next time. Luminaries. Talking to the Brightest Minds in Tech, a podcast series from Dell Technologies.